Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we are speaking with Bobby Allen. His journey of experiencing God as restoring, accepting, caring, and encouraging is continually transforming his heart and mind. From speaking, coaching, and leadership training in the U.S., Africa, South America, and Europe, to a lead pastor for a dynamic, rapidly growing church, to seasons of tragic loss and humiliation, have been used in his life to deepen his faith. Being a national speaker, leader of leaders, coach, and author stirs up a focused passion within Bobby to lead and feed individuals and leaders so they can live from their sweet spot, both professionally and personally, while enjoying their next steps of growth and progress. Bobby's fun-loving, dynamic personality encourages and inspires people not only to dream, but to live out their dreams. His passion is for helping them reach their goals and become strong leaders in life and in the workplace. He is a positive, enthusiastic, and very people-oriented leader, coach, and speaker. He wants only the best for you and your organization. As an EQ coach, he administers assessments and trains individuals, leaders, and organizations in emotional intelligence. Bobby is also an official member of Forbes Coaches Council, which is an invitation-only community of the most innovative and leading business and career coaches in the world. Bobby's expertise as an international keynote speaker, leadership, and emotional intelligence coach is shared with millions around the world through authoring articles and answering questions on Forbes.com. His focus is to develop leaders who are emotionally aware, authentic, and passionate, so they can engage their team to do work beyond the capacity of any one individual. It's about enrolling people to utilize their full potential. Bobby is a certified member of the John Maxwell team and serves on the President's Advisory Council. He is one of 39 top leaders in the country to be personally invited by Ken Blanchard to be one of the speakers of the 2017 Servant Leadership Summit this year, with almost 20,000 servant leaders from 150 countries attending. So welcome, Bobby Allen. How are you? Doing well. Lily, thank you for the privilege to be with you today with all your listeners. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And Bobby, we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am honored and I'm ready. Thank you, Lily. So Bobby, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think back to when I was three years old and here's how the story was told. 
from my uh, mom and dad. And uh, what I remember, my little sister was crying and hurting for something. And I had shown great concern to my mom and went to her and said, what's wrong with my little sister? Well, honey, she's hungry. And dad's at the store getting her some milk. And so when he gets back, we'll give her a bottle. Well, I thought, you know, that just intrigued me. So about five minutes later, my mom cannot find me. And she was nervous running around asking all of the neighbors and asking everybody and running around trying to find me. And my dad comes home at the time and she says, Bobby is lost. I can't find him. He runs outside, looks down the street about a block away. He sees me walking around in my shirt and shoes and my little shorts. And I'm just about to cross a busy street that would have uh, ended my life for sure. He swoops me up and he says, Bobby, where are you going? What are you doing? And he said that I opened up my hand. I had a penny in my hand. And I said, I need to go get Wawa for baby. And I thought, that is the beginning of how far my compassion and problem solving and leadership skills were beginning to kick in. And that would lead to me realizing that I was born with this thing called leadership. As time went on, I began to grow and advance in years. And as I began to play sports and competitively, and as I began to be around friends and social groups, I realized that when I would have ideas or thoughts, those would be followed and listened to. And I didn't know it was called leadership. I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't know it as influence. As I began to go through college and grad school, I realized I had been given this privilege, this gift to serve other people and individuals and leaders and organizations to help them from their full potential. And what is it that you're doing now, Bobby? Well, I'm the CEO and founder of Legacy Leadership and Coaching. And if you were to contact us, it's about being an individual, a group, a leader, somebody who needs a leader, a coach, a counselor, or a speaker. Mm -hmm. I serve both the faith community and the business community. Now, Bobby, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. I mean, I've never had a guest who went back to three years old. That was pretty <laughs> young and amazing because you had this compassion in your heart even back then. So when did you realize that what you were doing was leadership or that leadership was the area you wanted to grow and thrive in? Yeah, I think it became more intentional in college. I was part of the student government, and I realized hey, I had ideas and thoughts, and I had suggestions that were followed that made a difference in the way the school ran, or it, it actually would change student government. That's when I began to realize there's something that I have here that helps things be better, and people like the ideas, and I can gather them around to take ownership to it. And so once you realized that, were you intentional about growing leadership skills? What happened a few years before then is I grew up in a broken home. Uh, my dad left to pursue his career mm -hmm. in Hollywood, and he was my best friend. And I was the oldest of five when he left. I was eight years old. My whole world shattered. Oh, wow. Grew up on welfare, rejection and abandonment were my best friends. Mm -hmm. And so I began to use sports and music. All of us got the talented musical gifts from my dad. 
And I began to use those as part of my way to cope. And leading up to this leadership thing, I realized that I could connect with people who have been hurt or in pain. And as I got into college, I began to realize that there was actually a calling on my life. A career is what you're paid to do. A calling is what you're made to be. And I realized I want to tell people and leaders and organizations how to live from their full potential. And I began to study leadership. I began to invest in myself as a leader, from conferences to workshops to books. That's wonderful that you could do that at an early age. I think that other people speaking into your life can bring that up. So how would you describe your leadership style? My leadership style is what I call towel leadership, okay. as opposed to title leadership. There are title leadership models and towel leadership model. T-O-W-E-L. Yes, I've never heard of that type of yes. leadership. I'm so curious. Some people call it servant leadership or okay. service. There have been many great leaders that I adore and that I appreciate. And for years, title leadership was what I embraced. And I realized not too long into the leadership process that there was a higher level of leadership uh, in my book, From Titles to Towels, The Heart of a Servant Leader, I'm finishing up the book, hope to have it done in six months. The opportunity that I share about in my conferences and my books is that the heart of a title leader, that leadership model is very prevalent in the leadership circles. It has great things to offer. Matter of fact, I joke around as I'm a recovering title leader. <laughs> I think a lot of us are. <laughs> and the title leader is characterized by the five C's, which the old conferences that I used to give would say, you've got to have character and courage and clarity and competence and coachability. And if you have those five things, you can become a level five leader. And I coach many CEOs and business owners and lead pastors of organizations today, and I admire and see the good in a title leader. But the one thing that I have seen over the years as a leadership and executive coach, and from my own leadership, the title leadership misses one important ingredient, and that's understanding their EQ, their emotional intelligence. And that's a vital component. Uh, yes, and Lily, most of my clients today, from billion-dollar companies to CEOs to lead pastors of large churches to leaders of medium organizations or small, what I'm finding with their teams and these wonderful leaders that I highly respect is they have a next step of growth that's called emotional intelligence. They're emotionally and relationally wobbly. It's not only affecting and infecting their bottom line, but it's affecting and infecting their culture, in their companies and their organizations. And people become paycheck employees instead of passion employees under a title leader that lacks emotional intelligence. Right. And so I'm able to go serve them, help them experience their next step of growth. I don't believe in the philosophy, tear people down, tell them what they're not doing well, point out their negative things to make them grow. In fact, I encourage and inspire them to look at everything they've already done and now let's look at what you could be doing and what you could accomplish if we can help you in your next step of growth. And this thing's called emotional intelligence, EQ, relational emotional intelligence. And that's simply, how do I feel? What do I do with how I feel? How do other people feel? And what do I do with 
influencing how other people feel. Those four pillars are the key to EQ in a nutshell. I'm finding emotional intelligence is the next step of growth for leadership. It's missing in many great leaders' lives. Great leaders can lead a room. Greater leaders can feel a room, feel the emotions and the feelings and the life in that room is a higher leadership. Towel leaders can understand there's more than just to character, courage, clarity, competence, and coachability. Mm -hmm. I used to be a strong advocate of just title leadership, and I did it pretty well, but I crashed and burned eventually in the emotional, <laughs> relational realm. I appreciate that because we love emotional intelligence. I think this is something that is lacking in education as well. This is why we do what we do. So I really appreciate you speaking into that. Now, Bobby, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I've had 11 key coaches over my lifetime, and every one of them have been strategic in the season I've been in. <laughs> Forgive me for sounding self-serving, but I speak in quotes. <laughs> my clients love it. They tell me, my team and I have been reciting your quotes. Mm -hmm. You know, So I may share a few of them, but I want to share a few from some key coaches. One is a coach of mine back in the 80s, Howard Hendricks. He was one of the top leaders and speakers and writers of the day. Matter of fact, he mentored John Maxwell. Oh, wow. And he tucked me under his wing for four years. And I was able to be mentored and coached by him. I went on leadership conferences with him. And, you know, we'd go on a week leadership conference with him. He said, Alan, he always called me Alan. Hey, Alan, we're going to go to one of my friends. Get your notebook and your paper out and take notes. I said, I got it. Well, and I ended up in this living room. I'm thinking, where am I? And all of a sudden, I see a bunch of these high profile leaders walking in. We're in North Carolina in Billy Graham's living room. Hmm. I'm in my 20s. This is in the 80s. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? And I just took notes. And one of the things that Prof always taught me, he said, hey, Alan, people are never an interruption. They're always an opportunity. Oh, I love that. And that has marked me to this day. The busier I get, I need to be reminded people are not an interruption. They're always an opportunity. Another one of my mentors, Ray Stedman, back in the day said, never ponder in private what people tell you in public. The day you do, you're a tragedy waiting to happen. That one's Whether, deep. Explain that one. He said, as you begin to grow in your acclaim and your influence and your organization and leadership, when your borders are broadened and your influence is at a greater level, people will tell you things about you because they're so thankful for you, but they're always bigger than life and they're never that true. He said, Alan, you're not as good as you think. <laughs> He said, so when you get alone, don't ponder in private what the people are telling you in public. Either you'll get cocky and arrogant and believe your own press reports, right. or you'll get depressed and sad because you're going to have critics that are going to try to tear you down. Have a short memory, buddy. Don't ponder in private what people tell you in public. Let it go. That's great advice. Amazing. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to really connect with that. Love it. Uh, another mentor of mine, Bill Bryan, he says, credibility comes with high visibility with people. He was mentoring me. We'd always go out to lunch as part of our mentoring time together. And I would hate to go out to lunch with him, Lily. You know why? Because <laughs> anywhere we went, people knew him. And our food would get cold. 
Darn it. And he would be talking to people and loving on them and encouraging them and building them up. And he knew after about a month of this, he looked at me one day, he said, you all right, buddy? And I said, hey, Bill, why do you always do that? In the middle of what we're talking, he said, because you know I'm investing in you and you know I believe in you. He says, when you're in public, the people always come first. He said, never forget this. Credibility comes with high visibility with people. You make people feel like they're the only person on the planet and you be sincere about it. I appreciate that. Any other quotes? One or two more, if I may. This is one of mine. When in doubt, love your way out. That one certainly speaks to me. Yes. Whenever you're in an awkward situation, you don't know what to say. You're not sure what to say to the person in front of you that's awkward. While you're figuring it out, love your way out. Love never loses. Love always wins in the end. You never lose when you're loving. Hmm. And then compare always brings despair. When you think you're better, you can get arrogant and cocky. When you think you're worse, you can get sad and depressed. And then lastly, you descend to greatness. The greatest leaders know that there is a progression to growth in leadership. You start out as a servant, and then you grow to be a steward, and then you graduate as a slave. You descend to greatness. You become a towel leader. Your leadership is to make people and companies and organizations and humanity run at its best from their highest level of potential, not to make you great, not to try to create a monument. Title leaders create monuments of man. Towel leaders create movements from God. Bobby, I'm so full already, and we're only on the fourth question. (laughs) Okay, so what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Leaders who give up the spotlight in order to make other people shine brighter. The greatest leaders fade into the woodwork and the people they've been investing in, the organization they've been investing in at their greatest day, their best moment, they jump up and down and say, look what we did and never mention the leader. But the leader quietly is in the woodwork. Great leaders never cross the finish line first. They never cross alone. And it's never lonely at the top with great leaders, correct? Absolutely. A great manager might have said that, but a leader has never said that because leaders don't go anywhere by themselves. Now, Bobby, you mentioned that you're currently writing a book. So if our listeners wanted to buy your books, where could they do that? They can go on Amazon and Bobby Allen. They'll see some of my books there. And what are some other books they should be looking for? There's one called Relational Leadership, How to Prioritize people over purpose and projects. And it's a book that highlights growing organizations and leaders. They bump into this thing called organizations. And sometimes we're not sure on the organization side how to navigate people emotionally and relationally through the growth process when an organization takes off. When the dream happens, some leaders who might lack some EQ that just need a next step of growth, great leaders, there's just a next step of growth. They need to understand emotional intelligence, relationally, emotionally. How do you navigate your team, your staff, your organization through change and transition? It's crucial. Otherwise, you end up imploding and the growth you've been wanting ends up backfiring on you and you implode because you didn't have the emotional, relational infrastructure to handle the weight of the growth. Right. Or you're so overworked because you're not using your team. Right. It's not just production and projects and purpose you got to prioritize 
people. People are your greatest appreciable asset. Perfect. Thank you so much, Bobby. You're welcome. Now, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, you ready for this, Lily? I'm ready. I was 19, going to be 20. I have a way to point out potential and greatness. And I would go to these people that I saw that had just greatness. And I saw something in them that intrigued me. So at 19, I went and pulled on the suit of this one gentleman. We belong to the same organization together. And I said, would you mentor me and coach me? He said, I want you to ponder and think about it. He said, if you're a person of faith, pray about it. Come back and talk to me in a week. So I came back in a week. I said, would you mentor me and coach me? He says, yes, be at my office 12 o'clock next Tuesday. I said, fantastic. Now, again, remember, I grew up in a broken home. Right. No dad, missing him, abandonment, and all these rejection issues. Oldest of five. I had boundaryless, grew up on welfare, no money, no connections. I just didn't learn some things. And I would find out that it was not okay that day. I got to his office at 12.05, knocked on the door. He said, come on in, have a seat. And he looked at me and he said, our first coaching session today. First, I want to point out two things for you, Bobby. I believe in you. I said, fantastic. This guy's name was Dave, and he was the top executive of his company. And he said, you're a thief and a liar. Hmm. And I said, what? He said, you told me you'd be here at 12. And you got here at 12.05, you lied, and you stole my time. And here's the best advice I ever got. To waste your time is to waste your life. To make the most of your time is to make the most of your life. He said, you have 168 hours a week to live on. Learn how to leverage them, because one day you're going to exit the planet. Change my life. That is absolutely so true. And also, you're not only dishonoring your time, you're dishonoring other people's time when you don't honor your word or show up on time, especially if that's a habit. Um, And for me at that time, it was. I didn't have anybody to teach me time management. I was a, you know, baseball player, wrestler, uh, competed in sports. I just kind of showed up, mm -hmm. you know, my coaches. I wouldn't have had any male role models, but they impacted my life. But nobody sat me down and taught me, how do you leverage your time? I love that even at that age, you knew that it would go better if you had a mentor or a coach. And I think it's changing. But the thinking typically is, if you need a coach, then you're not a good leader. You know, can you speak into that a little bit? Sure. Most recent conversation I had, a company in our country, because I serve people locally, nationally and internationally, they said, you know what, we're doing really good. Look at our bottom line. You come highly recommended, but we're doing great. I'm not really sure we need a coach. And I said, fantastic. He said, what do you think about that? I said, well, first of all, let me tell you, you're doing wonderful. I walked in. I met you when I met your receptionist at the front desk. She was a representation. I knew you'd be kind. I knew you would be someone who was serious about business because that's what she portrayed. I said, congratulations. Now to answer your question, do you know any human who's perfect? Do you know any organization that is perfect? He said, absolutely not. That's silly. I said, well, sir, you probably could use some coaching. He said, I'd never thought of it like that before. I said, it's all about next steps of growth. It's not to come here and point out what you're doing wrong or what you're not good at. This is actually to help tag team with you, to help you define success bigger and broader. You're defining success by what you've done instead of what you still could do. You're defining success by who you are instead of what you still could be. Are you interested in what you could be and where you could go? He said, absolutely. I said, great. When would you like to start? 
it is about growth. It's about the next step and adding value to those you lead. So Bobby, you've had a lot of experience in leadership and I'm sure you've built a lot of teams and you work with a lot of teams. What does it mean to have a good team and how do you build or sustain one? Well, Lily, this is a great question. This is another opportunity for me to share another failure, things I didn't know early on in my leadership. I used to think that the most important was hiring the best of the best in every area and making sure they're gifted. They had a skill set, gift mix, abilities, talents, get the best. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem was I left out two important ingredients that today I feel are more important than anything. I wasn't dialed into making sure to build a team and how to build it with affinity and alignment. I didn't ask affinity questions or alignment questions. I asked, what have you done? What records have you broken? How good you are? How much money did you make your last company? Tell me about the latest adventure, your greatest success. These are great things, but they pale in comparison. If you hire people that you don't have affinity with, that means simply if you don't like them a lot and they don't like you a lot, That's disaster. Right. That's affinity. If you don't have alignment, it's tough to lead leaders. It's like herding cats. <laughs> when you're going to lead leaders, we know better, we know best, we're thinking, we're evaluating, we're challenging, we're growing. You got to be going in the same direction, yet still have different thoughts about it at the same time. But if you get a leader on board who's fantastic, amazing, and wonderful, but kind of going in their own direction, that is disaster waiting to happen again. Right. So affinity and alignment. And the third one I've added in the last eight years is knock on their EQ door. Find out what kind of emotional intelligence they have. Their gift mix and their skill set is a great offering. It's still a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have good relational skills and emotional skills and able to navigate their team, they're not going to know what to do with people's problems, hangups, people's failures. Right. They're going to be more harsh, more driven, more unforgiving. They're going to put production over people. High-level leaders that understand emotions and relationships realize that relationships always trump vision. Otherwise, your people feel like hired help and they come on to help you and the company, but you don't care about them as humans and making their life better and helping them reach their dreams. So I, for years, was emotionally wobbly. At the time, in the 90s, one of my biggest failures at an organization that took off and doing great, but my lack of emotional intelligence ended up causing part of the reason to cause the thing to implode. So just to kind of bring it home, you can be a good leader, but you don't become a great leader until you develop your emotional intelligence. Is that right? That's what I'm finding. Yes. And in the assessments I'm doing with CEOs, ready for this? Mm -hmm. CEOs by far have the lowest EQ of everybody in the organization. Mm. That's how they can cut Lily's salary, restructure, move her, fire her, get rid of her, go have a nice steak dinner that night, sleep beautiful that night, get up the next morning, come to work and not even skip a beat. Yeah, but Lily ain't having that. They're not emotionally invested or connected to you. It's production. Get things done. Bigger, better, faster, more. The only time you hear from them when you didn't do it right. Do it better, do it bigger, do it faster. These driven leaders can be dangerous because they can end up self-serving, but they may not know it. Right. Thank you so much, Bobby. I can think of all the experiences I've had 
as a leader with low EQ and also serving leaders with low EQ and how difficult that has been. But also it speaks to me because in education, it affects the future, our students, you know, which is dangerous. Some people really believe that that's not so right? because it's upper level leadership. So how is it going to affect the students? And this is why we're having these conversations because it does. Yes. Hey leaders, this spring we will be launching free 30-minute chats with guests we've had on Master Leadership Podcasts. This is a wonderful opportunity to connect and ask your questions. So stop whatever you're doing, unless you're driving, then you'll want to pull over and text the word CHAT, that's C-H-A-T, to 516-219-9655. Again, Text chat, C-H-A-T, to the number 516-219-9655 or register at masterleadership.org forward slash chat. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Sure. I believe great leaders just don't give information. They also give transformation. Information without transformation breeds frustration and lack of motivation. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to answer you from my own life so that I could put on display where I got this from. So it just wasn't from a book or a good leadership principle, but actually from the journey of my life. I already said I lost my best friend when I was eight years old, my dad. When he'd come home from concerts and singing and seeing him on the big screen, hearing him on the radio, he was my hero, my God, who knows? Who's your daddy? His stage name was Bobby Allen. If you're familiar with music in the 60s, uh, that's when his big heyday was and oh. in movies with Robert Blake. And and um, he made it for a short time. He lost it, lost his family. Incredibly gifted, good looking guy, but uh, got it and lost it. That would introduce rejection and abandonment to me. And caused me to have not only a low EQ, but deep-seated anger and hurt. Mm -hmm. And then later, when I was 16, I was sexually abused by a relative. Oh, wow. And that was terrible because I thought maybe it was my fault. Maybe I should have said something. I never said anything for years. And then I began to pick people little by little. As I was growing in my emotional intelligence, I realized that this was something that was keeping me back from connecting fully as a leader and to connect with people fully to take them to the next place in their leadership growth individually and professionally in their companies. And so these circumstances were used to help me understand pain in the common everyday person. I've only been to 10 countries, Lily, but I found something. Most people in the world relate to pain, not pleasure, failure, not success. Mm -hmm. So I could overshoot people, but this pain has become almost like an opportunity. My pain has turned into a platform of power to impact people's lives so I can connect with them and understand Mm -hmm. people don't live on the mountaintop all the time, not even great leaders. Some of them don't know what to do with their hurt. So they work harder and get greater and get better and write more and do more and speak more. But they still deep down inside where nobody knows, they are still hurting deep down in private. Hmm. So this pain, the greatest challenge I've experienced and how it shaped my life, I've realized play close attention to your school of hard knocks. Don't just go through your pain, grow through your pain. And that way, my beating could be someone else's blessing. My tragedy could turn into someone else's triumph if I can grow from it, connect from it. Don't let it confine me. Don't let it define me. 
but it can be a bridge to connect with another human so they could live their best life or run their best company. Bobby, I really want to thank you and I want to honor you for your authenticity and your vulnerability because I know that that's not easy. And you spoke to my heart when you spoke about abuse. I mean, I speak about this in a podcast called My Trust Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And I know that when someone has gone through what you've gone through, what we've gone through, trust is an issue. Mm -hmm. And so what have you learned about trust and how important is that in leadership? Yeah, that's a great question, Lily. One of my mentors, his name was Jim. We meet every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. And he was teaching me something without telling me because he wanted me to get frustrated enough. And one of the things he used to tell me, he said, I believe in you, but I don't trust you. I thought to myself, what? Next week we get together. Hey, I love you. I believe in you, buddy, but I don't trust you. And after a month and a half of this, I was ready to tell this guy, hey, you're killing me, man. What are you doing? The heck with you. <laughs> yeah, what's up with you, man? Hey, I'm into mixed martial arts. Let me exercise my gift of laying on of hands and feet. <laughs> so I finally asked him, I said, Jim, you're killing me. For a month and a half, we've been getting together every Tuesday morning at six. And you keep telling me you love me and believe in me, but you don't trust me. He said, because you think someone has to be flawless and perfect to be fully trusted. And I don't. And he said, let me ask you a question. Can you fully trust yourself? And I had to honestly look at him and say, I guess not. He said, then why would you hold me to a higher standard that even you have for yourself? He said, I've learned people are wobbly and hurting. I've learned that people are in process, but as long as they're committed to growing and growth, I can trust them. I love that. Bobby, I'm sitting here just thinking about how many people have gone through similar situations and don't deal with it and become leaders and hurt other people because they haven't dealt with it. Yes. In droves, Lily. Leaders with great companies are just mowing over people in droves. The wake behind them are scattered, broken lives, leaders with great potential, humans who just got abused and hurt, even sincerely. Mm -hmm. Whether I get sincerely or unsincerely hurt by you, I'm still hurt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So what advice would you give someone who's listening now? You know, you've touched a nerve. You know, I can only speak from my experiences. I know that for a long time, I just kept ignoring the hurt. I mm -hmm. kept ignoring the pain because yeah. it felt like it was too much for me to deal with. And then I had a life and I couldn't yeah. check out of that life to deal with this thing. And so yeah. we're speaking to leaders here who are listening, leaders who have been leading a long time, new leaders who are faced with this and don't want to face it, or maybe they don't know how, what advice can you give them? How can they start? Lily, that's really good. I always ask the leaders and companies I have the honor to serve, what do you call a microscopic hole in your tooth? And they said, what? And then finally someone says, oh, a cavity? I said, absolutely. I said, have you ever had a root canal? Oh, man, yes, I hated it. I said, did you know that root canal once was just a microscopic hole in your tooth that you just thought, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I'll let it go. And eh, no big deal. It hurts once in a while, but nah, it's okay. You don't need to wait in your life to have a life root canal before you deal with the microscopic holes in your life that eventually will not only hurt you, but hurt all the people connected to your influence. Look at the wound, the hurt, the hang up, the habit in its earliest microscopic form so that you can grow through it, own it, look at it, surrender it. And in the meantime, learn questions to ask. 
like, what does it feel like to be on the other side of me? Because those of us who haven't dealt with our hurts, habits, and hangups, when we make great leadership executive decisions under pressure, stressed, those wounds come up and out because you can't keep them down. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when you're pressured, full of anxiety, you have big decisions to make, you're stressed, the people around you will suffer a great hit. They have to pay a price to be in your presence. So if you get the people who are honest and real, who don't need anything from you, and you ask them, what does it feel like to be on the other side of me? They'll be able to mirror and reflect to you things you may not see or know. And that could be the beginning of you saying, that's not okay. I don't want to be just a great leader on paper that builds a great organization, writes a million books. I want to be someone who connects to the heart of people, honors and respects and grows people not just production and progress and companies. I want both. Mm -hmm. That's what I talk about in my book, Relational Leadership, how that looks. How do you do that and still reach your bottom line goals? You know, I had one executive look at me and say, EQ, that soft skill sissy stuff, what do you want? Burp people, hold them, smile bigger and tell them they're going to be okay? I don't have time for that. Produce, get in or get out. Nobody eats unless I sign 600 checks. Producer, get out. I said, well, that's a philosophy. I said, you just got through telling me you have huge retention issues. Have you ever wondered why? Thank you so much. We need to hear that. Um, So Bobby, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? I grew up not having any role models on what great marriages looked like. Mm -hmm. I have a beautiful family, but you know, a lot of them have been married, divorced one, two, three times. They're still beautiful people and I love them. But I didn't have any idea what marriage was like. And I didn't have any understanding why would people want to be married. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't grow up with a desire for that. My dad's been divorced and married four times. And I grew up not understanding relationships or marriage at all. And so the fact that I'm still married almost 32 years is one of the greatest successes I've ever had. So that's one of them. Being able to add value to people. Years ago, like John, I was able to plant churches and be a pastor for a while and adding value to folks and changing lives there. And then later on, starting legacy leadership and coaching as a national speaker, a coach, a counselor, and a leader. And so those are the things people need or organizations need or leaders need when they call us. Or I get leaders, coaches, and counselors call and say, can I go through your program? Make me better. So I've really been honored to see legacy leadership and coaching serve the community locally, nationally, and internationally as well. The fact that my kids still talk to me, I have a 25-year-old, 20-year-old son and an 18-year-old son, and uh, they still like me. Even though once in a while, Lily, I'll talk to them. They say, Dad, don't get all coach on me. Stop coaching. Don't coach on me, Dad. I said, okay. Isn't it lovely how they can really help us to grow in our leadership? Absolutely. Our youngest, Bobby, stopped me cold in my tracks that day. He's like, Dad, don't get all coach on me. He said, can you just be my dad? I took that invitation big time. I apologized. I said, I'm sorry. I don't want to coach you at all. I want to be your dad. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Bobby, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? Well, welcome to the privilege of leadership, first of all. And if you're the leader of that organization, you need to get a coach because your personality and temperament ends up decorating the culture of that place. So if you want to know the temperature of your organization, we got to start by putting the thermometer in your mouth. You're helping to create the thing that you're discouraged about. It's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. You don't know everything. You don't see everything. 
Get somebody who will become safe for you, who will wake up and go to sleep with you on their mind and give you their A game and take you personally and professionally to the greatest level you ever dreamed of. And what if you're not the top leader there? If you're on staff or you're on the team, there are a lot of factors involved. You might be the right person in the wrong place. You may be at a place where you don't have affinity or alignment. Learn what affinity is, learn what alignment is. Secondly, you may have to learn how to do what I call relational mop-ups. Inevitably, there are going to be relational spills, disconnect, misunderstandings. They don't go away by themselves. You might want to talk to your direct report and say, as a team player, what can I do to help create the culture we're all desire to be? If you find that the people around you are not open to change and you're still discouraged, again, my encouragement would be to you, leave quietly and leave alone. You're going to be remembered more by how you left the organization than how you entered the organization. The last memory will be how you left and what you left. It won't be all that you did. So why quietly and why alone? Great question. Here's where integrity comes in and a leader who doesn't want to commit organizational abuse. If you leave disgruntled, if you leave discouraged and talk about it and create a negative environment with other people, other staff, you might leave gossiping and slandering and taking your issues and putting it on other people. Mm-hmm. And now they have the issues with people that they didn't have before because they took on your offense. So you create a negative influence. Instead of being an adder, you become a subtractor. Instead of multiplying, you divide. And what's worse is you do this on the way out. You'll be remembered for that. It'll hurt your next place of employment. It'll hurt how people see you and remember you. Well said. Thank you so much for that. Now, Bobby, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? I embrace that philosophy. I call it living with a beginner's mindset and leading with the beginner's mindset. That's very important. It sounds good, but do I actually practice it? Well, how do I know if I'm practicing it? Here's how I know. I open up my appointment book and I look to see when was the last time I had an appointment with someone who can't do anything for me or give me anything or who I might not see as successful as me. And when did I give them my time and take them to lunch? If all of my meetings are with the people who are powerful and great and are a great value add to me, I got to connect with them so I can get more, be more, do more. That doesn't have to be wrong. But if I really want to talk about being a lifelong learner and live and lead with a beginner's mindset, then it might do me well to make sure that I intentionally put myself in front of people who, at first glance, why am I meeting with you? What are you going to do for me? You know, and I want to say something that's really prevalent. And so Mm -hmm. I love that you're speaking into this because we can grow a big head. Yeah. And so you have to be intentional about doing that. I think so. And I realized for years, I only met with people that were bigger, better, faster, that could add value and take me to the next level. Mm. But when did I really say, wait a minute, I can learn from anybody. Something that could be a defining moment. When was the last time I met with that 12-year-old, that old lady? People are never an interruption. They're always an opportunity. You know, I think about that in the educational field. And we're surrounded by children to have that mindset always that these little people are always an opportunity and not an interruption. And to live that way speaks volumes. I think so too, Lily. 
it's a beautiful thing to make sure your feet are firmly planted on the ground and that you remember who you're not and where you came from. What I'm learning now is how to love my kids as adults and how to invest in them as adults, how to help them find their voice and reach their own convictions and how to be teachable and open to them. I'm learning how to, in a new way, really honor my bride of 31 years. Really think about how can I be one of the people who have the front row box seats in her life to help her be the best she can be? Because I haven't done well at that. I think for years she served me better than I served her. And I would really love the next 30 years that I wake up in the morning thinking, how can I serve Julie, my bride today, in a way that will help her reach her dreams and be better and be everything she's desired to be and designed to be. Those some of the things in putting my family, my relationships first. When she hears this, you're going to put a big smile on her face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm smiling thinking about this. Really, I've known it so much in this area over the years. She's very forgiving, so I'll take that. The other thing I'm learning now is how to navigate leaders and grow leaders to the next level emotionally and relationally. Because again, that's the next step of growth for leadership and humanity. It won't be long, Lily, before you can go to a leadership conference where EQ won't be sprinkled all over the place, where emotional intelligence is the main theme in growing leaders, not just from the platform. Everybody has a private life with hurts, habits, and hangups. And if we aren't dealing with those microscopic holes in our life, eventually they'll become a life root canal. And the greater your influence, the more hurt and pain others will have as a result. So I'm learning to add value to leaders and introducing most of them to EQ because either they think it's soft skills for wimpy leaders or they're not aware of it at all. And yet they're breaking records in their organization and their bottom line goals are through the roof. But they haven't realized you still have more. There's still bigger, better, and more ahead if you can learn how to navigate yourself and others emotionally and relationally at another level. Thank you so much for that. Now, if there was something you could change in education in the U.S., Bobby, what would that be? I respect teachers. I believe they're grossly underpaid. I think we live in a world where right is wrong and wrong is right. I think they should be the highest paid people on the planet, along with moms and parents and dads, stay-at-home moms and dads. But the reality is, and I'm an athlete who excelled, so I just think something's wrong when I, John can get or Sally can get millions for throwing the ball and teachers, Jim or Sally, gets pennies. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. I think I would encourage teachers to continually grow so they don't be the history teacher who teaches the same thing 20 years in a row. Mm-hmm. And I think teachers, it would help if they had some leadership gifting so they know when Johnny gets a bad grade in the class, you got to take ownership to that because it was your job to make them succeed. And so how did you invest in them? Not enabling or rescuing Charlie because he could have worked harder, but he could have needed a mentor and a coach to know how to teach him uniquely where he could connect and find the motivation to learn what you're trying to teach him. So one size doesn't fit all. Well, there's a class of 30, 40, and I understand the challenge is huge. You gotta make some decisions on what you're gonna do as a teacher leader, because they're gonna remember you in the stories 30 years from now. The other thing is, unfortunately, that our educational system is set up on grades and merits. So when Cindy's over there talking, and sharing, she might be out of turn. She might be talking too much, 
but it's seen as sometimes wrong and interruption, and she gets sent to the principal's office because she's, quote unquote, disrespectful, doesn't have manners, or doesn't know how to have classroom etiquette. Well, guess what? She also had incredible skills of speaking and communicating and connecting with humans who by far are going to make her a greater success in life than just the fact that she knew how to take quizzes and get A's. Mm -hmm. Can she have both? Yes. But here's what I'm finding in my assessments with leaders. You get hired for your IQ and fired for your EQ. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Most people don't get fired because they knew too much or their job was great, they get fired because people don't like you. (laughs) You can't get along with people. So if teachers could teach EQ, if they could understand and have some good emotional intelligence training under their belt, they could learn how to navigate the people in the group who have EQ skill sets that are going to be their bread and butter of success in life. But if they're told you're dumb because you get a C or you're not as committed because you got a C, you don't work as hard because you got to be. In some cases, that's true. In some cases, it's not. It's their wiring. Personality and IQ is set about 17 years old. EQ can grow a lifetime. So both of them are needed. I believe in education, of course. I've got a college degree. I've got a master's degree. My kids, you know, they know we're an educational home. And yet, I tell our kids, if you can't connect with humans relationally, emotionally, at best, you'll become a successful failure. You'll succeed professionally and fail personally at the same time. Right. Thank you so much for that. Now, what have you read that our listeners should read and why? Um, The Search for Significance by Robert McGee impacted my life in 1987. Begin to connect me to my hurt and my pain and my abuse. Up to that point, I was not connecting with it. And it's a book about how to understand significance and security apart from your performance and other people's opinions of you. Safe People by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Fantastic book. I had no idea I had unsafe characteristics in me as a leader that every once in a while it was like I was a porcupine around some people and I didn't know why. Am I drawing unsafe people to myself? Many leaders are high transference liabilities and they don't know it. Mm-hmm. That means that they wear their emotions on their sleeve and they draw and connect people to them. And if they don't know, people can transfer on them their pain, their hurt from the past, and they feel so close and safe with you, they connect to you in an unhealthy way. And they end up doing damage to you and the organization by trying to live through you instead of trying to live with you in a working relationship. Mm. That's called transference. Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury. Great, easy read. There's many other books, of course, that I studied getting my EQ training and certification, but that's an easy one. The Advantage, Patrick Lencioni. Great book on organizational health. Here's the pattern. If we can teach EQ, we can raise the leadership lid in our companies, and the result will be healthier organizations across the planet. Beautifully said, yes. EQ, leadership-led organizational health. To try to grow an organization with unhealthy emotional intelligence, you'll find it will implode. It will have a short shelf life, five to eight years. It might last a decade, but you won't have the greatest significance. And then finally, there's another book called The Dream Giver by Bruce Wilkinson. What do you do with your dream? What do you do if you've been called to be what I call a vision carrier, a dream carrier? How do you house a dream that's bigger than you and impossible to pull off in your lifetime. 
Oh, wow. That's deep. To envision and to really live that dream, knowing that it's not going to be accomplished in your lifetime, but the next or maybe the next after that. That's big. That's big. You know what, Lily? That's how I define true leadership success these days. Anyone can pull it off in their lifetime. I want to see what you did with a lifetime after you and lifetime after your kids. Now, there's your leadership proof. Legacy. Wonderful. Now, you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? Yeah, that's a good question. Because I'm a man of faith, I woke up this morning before I got out of bed. I said, okay, God, what are we going to do today? I can't see everything. I don't know everything. So I trust you. Who can I add value today? And what would it look like? And then I bounce thoughts and ideas off my bride. And I ask her, she's a sounding board for me. And then I take risks. Failure is my friend and risk is a myth. Anything I do that I can pull off or a bunch of us on a team can pull off, I'm dreaming too small and thinking too small. I want to be about something bigger than myself, that I've got to have a successor and I've got to be pouring into people to take care of this and pass the baton before I leave. I just don't want to meet the needs of my generation. A leader's responsibility is what am I going to do for the generation coming and who am I going to pass the baton? So take risks and give my A game wherever I show up. And I don't always do that. There's sometimes I have bad days or slow days or an off day. And I just say, man, you know what? If I wasn't a man of faith, I'd say today, I don't know if I was a liability or an asset. But God, I trust you. You're going to make something out of it. Love that. Now, Bobby, how do you maintain balance? That's a great question. If I may, I used to think about this a lot. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, Mm -hmm. over the last 10 years or so, now this is going to sound counterintuitive, I don't teach balance anymore. I think it's potentially a fallacy. Here's why. I've taught balance for years. And then I begin to realize something. If I want to live from my sweet spot and live from my divine design, if I want to be what I was created to do, balance will kill it. Because that means I got to get real good and practice getting good at things I don't like, things I'm not good at, that I was never designed to be great at. And so what I do is the areas that I am not good at or can't deliver in, I recruit and develop those people and get them around me as my inner circle, or I hire them to be on my team. And then I empower them and set them free to lead us in that area so that I could just spend my life only doing what I have passion for only doing what I've been designed to do and show up every day thinking, I can't believe I get to do this and get paid for it. I'm just doing what I was created to be. It's not even a job. Now, someone says, well, that's kind of lofty. You got to have work-life balance and life-work balance. Bring people along with you and they'll love to be a part of the journey. They won't feel like there's lack of balance. They'll feel like they're working and living from their sweet spot as well. Continually be true to the things that bring fruit and fulfillment in your life. And that will bring balance. Why? If you learn to be who you were designed to be, when you do that, there'll be fruit in other people's life because they'll love it. There'll be fulfillment in your life because you'll love it. And that will bring balance because you'll be focused on the right things. Because remember, where your focus goes, your energy flows. So what gets your attention gets you. What you focus on, you become. you got to have affinity and alignment with yourself. Stay true to yourself, your vision, and like yourself. If I don't like myself, if I don't have affinity, and if I don't have alignment to who I've been created to be, 
how can anybody working with me or know me feel like they can have it in my presence as well? I get out of balance when I forget who I am and what my purpose is, what my gift mix and skill set is and where I should be focusing and doing that. That's one of the most profound responses to this, because most of us, when it comes to this question, we crash and burn. But I love what you said to be true to what we were created to be and to find that, to explore that. Thank you so much for that. Oh, you're welcome, Lily. Thank you for bringing it out of me. Your leadership did it, so I blame you. (laughs) Yay, I'm growing. So Bobby, (laughs) if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Don't take everything so seriously. Laugh. Enjoy the journey more, not just the destination. And make sure you prioritize relationships. Don't be so busy making a living, you forget to make a life. One day, you're 50, 60, 70, 80, you're passing off the scene, and you're going to look back and say, what? Why didn't I spend more time with my loved ones, my family? Or why didn't I close one more deal? Why didn't I write one more book? Can you do both? It is possible. Really learn who you are emotionally and relationally and really know that most people on the planet are walking with a limp. Be someone else's crutch and if need be, be their stretcher because their limp is real and it hurts and it's big. You can lead and succeed right over their head and miss their limp at the same time. Thank you so much for that. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? Howard Hendricks used to tell me, hey, Alan, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. (laughs) I love that. When Prof taught me that, I said, okay. So I made an acrostic, C-A-R-E. And I'll just quickly tell you, this is what I think about. When I lay my head on my pillow at night, before I nod off, I think to myself and I say a prayer, God, Who did I care for today? And here's what C is in C-A-R-E. Understanding that credibility comes with high visibility with people. Did I spend time with people today? Was I an adder or a subtractor? Is there another human that can say, when I met Bobby or talked to Bobby today, I felt like an opportunity, not an interruption. It changed my life. Did I care today? Did I, A, add value to someone intentionally? How do I do that? At Legacy Leadership, I practice S-B-W-A. S is in Sam, B is in Boyd, W is in Walk, A is in Adam. I practice S-B-W-A, serving by walking around. I go give people a word of look of touch, encourage them, affirm them, remind them how important they are, how special it is to work for them. Notice I said work for them. Why would the CEO say, thank you for letting me work for you? Because I want to pour into them and make their life better personally and professionally, adding value to them. I do what's called Katya leadership. I learned this from one of my mentors, and he says, catch people doing something well, and then encourage them and motivate them. Remember, over-celebrate and under-evaluate. Affirmation is the key to growth. C-A and then R is recalibrate my expectations of the people that are around me, both personally and professionally. Why? I need to learn how to set expectations according to where people are, Lily, not just where I expect them to be. How do I get their edges? Where are they right now? What is the truth of where their life is today? What's going on in Lily's life and her world? Meet her where she's at. And secondly, I can exercise my minimum appropriate expectation of you. And when I 
recalibrate my expectations to meet you where you're at, then I can participate in your next step of growth. And then I can take you to your ideal. That's the dream you have Mm -hmm. that you wish you had or what you want to be. Then I can participate in your next step of growth personally and professionally to take you to your ideal, what you hope to be and achieve in your definition of success. That's the R, recalibrate your expectations. And finally, the E, C-A-R-E, encourage people specifically, not generally. How do you do that? Over-celebrate and under-evaluate. If I asked you, hey, Lily, would you stay late tonight and finish up some stuff? And you go, sure, that'd be great, Bob. Next day I come in and you say, good morning, Bobby. And I say, good morning, Lily. Hey, Lily, I just want to thank you for staying late last night. You're such a team player. That would make you feel good, wouldn't it? Yes. Well, now let me encourage you, not generally like that, but let me encourage you specifically. Good morning, Lily. How are you doing today? She said, great, Bobby. Lily, last night when I asked you to stay and you said yes, let me tell you how you impacted my life personally and how you impacted us as a company professionally. Personally, I was able to get five more minutes with my daughter before she went to work. And I was able to go to my teenage son's soccer game. And I was able to add value to him because he looked over and saw me there, didn't think I was going to make it, and it touched his life. Lily, when you stayed last night, that's what you helped me do. Thank you so much. And professionally, we met our bottom line goal. We got that out and the company was satisfied. And they gave us a nice write-up and a referral. Lily, thank you for being a team player. So that's what I would say. C-A-R-E. Before you go to bed at night as a leader. We don't have the luxury to say anymore, what did I do today? Now it's who have I empowered and got something done through today? Who did I care for? C-A-R-E. Well, Bobby, you certainly cared for us today. I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Thank you for the privilege, Billy. Thank you for growing me today and asking questions to bring stuff up and out of me I haven't said before. So thank you. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.